Oh, it's good to see you guys. Thanks for being here. I promise you the air conditioners are on and working. It's pretty good up here. I don't know how it is in your seat. Well done, band. So as James announced, you weren't going to be here anyway, so we're going to take the next two Sundays off, and then we'll be back on July 16th. So you made the effort to be here today, so what we're talking about, I'm very excited that today what we're talking about is going to apply directly to you. One of those moments where, you, where uh, for some of you, you get prayed up and come to church. Some of you, you just lost the vote and come to church. But either way, you're going to think, uh, Ted, is there some kind of spy cam you've got going on in my life? It's one of those universal topics we're talking about today. And then we'll go out, turn left, and have sandwiches. And, uh, and I'm, I'm excited. We're going to spend two weeks in California. I'm still going to do my usual. I'm going to try to work in as many mockings of Texas and California as I can. But we are going to spend two weeks there on vacation. And my mother-in-law, who lives in Texas, now likes me. So, you know, what are you going to do? Every 25 years, it's something new around here. So let's get prayed up and, uh, and head into this wonder. Heavenly Father, you brought us here for a reason, whether we know that or not. We are willing, maybe, for you to show yourself in such a way that we recognize that you are real, that you know us by name, and Lord, would you give us the courage to embrace that you have plans for our lives bigger than we can even imagine. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray, and everybody said, amen. Now, let me start with an odd story. I think that's a good way to begin. Those of you that are first-timers, um, well, let's just see how this goes. So we used to, the hot chick and I, the, it was that one, um, we used to be, we've been here 20 years, but before that, we were up north of Chicago, on, both on staff, we both had the same degree at a big church, and the children's pastor, who was a wonder, Mrs. B, everybody loved Mrs. B. There were about 300 kids in her program, and she was great. Her husband was the local fire chief. Uh, we liked everything about Jeff except him pointing out that this old building was overcrowded and a lot of the exits didn't work. You know, Jeff, uh, I don't see you here with a hammer and chisel trying to unpaint this thing. Back when it was a smaller congregation, they would just paint and not worry about windows and doors that didn't open. So then we spent a lot of time working on getting windows and doors to open, although uh, one door, weirdly, on the third floor just opened out to air. So, but hey, if it needs to be in a fire exit, then there you go. Mrs. B came one time. They had two, uh, two sons, and they were great kids. They're now really old. What, they're about 30, and um, just a tremendous family. And Mrs. B came to my office one time, knock, 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 Pastor Ted, can I talk to you? First of all, you've never called me pastor in all these years, so something's up. And she said, I can tell you this because, one, she never listens, and two, you don't know who she is. So if she ever visits, don't look her in the eye, pretend you didn't hear this, okay? She came and knocked on the door and said, I need to talk to uh, my pastor. And I said, well, we both have one, the big boss. And she said, let me just tell you the story, and you'll see why I'm talking to you. And she sat down and said, I, I went to my uh, high school reunion. Um, I think it was her 20th. And she said, and I realized I married the wrong man. As well as Jeff. Have you told Jeff? He should, he should probably be the one you're talking to about this. She said, so uh, someone in high school, we never dated, but I liked him, but I was dating, he was dating someone else, and by the time he liked me, I was already dating Jeff, and, and now we're 25 years and two kids into this, and I realized I've married the wrong man. And I said, well, 
let me get this right. You think the right man to marry would be the one 25, in, 25 years into his marriage and 25 years into your marriage comes to you and said, I should have picked you. This is the level of wisdom you've wanted to, to tie your ship to for the last 25 years? And she said, well, when you say it that way, maybe not. She said, but he is a better dancer than Jeff. Well, sure. He's a fire chief. Back me up, Brett. Firemen, they're not known for dancing. Just talking to Ewing back there. He was out dancing last night. So I assumed bias on my part. I don't know, swing, right? Swing dance, that's one of my favorites. And he said, no, nah, classic rock. Okay, well, see, there you go. I don't know that the fire chief of Tucson, well, let me just end that sentence right there. I don't know who the fire chief of Tucson is. But all our doors open up, so I don't have to care. These, these exits are rock solid, right out, right into snakes. You guys are free. Just run right out. You'll be good. There's no air. But Jeff wasn't a good dancer. And Jeff could be a, a, a he was a Chicago guy, a little straightforward, a lot straightforward. He could make you cry with just a greeting is what I'm trying to say. Could be a little gruff. And this guy, this other guy was a bit of a smooth talker and a good dancer. And so Mrs. B, for a brief moment in time, thought she had married the wrong man. And then when I pointed out, this guy feels like a real piece of work. She said, well, yeah, now that you mention it, he did mention, you know, over the years, maybe he hadn't been as committed to their marriage as he should have been. Yeah, I think you married the right person. Here's the thing. I didn't have any options, but my wife had a lot of options. I, if I'm honest, still does. Um, I try not to let her travel alone because... Uh, Everybody, when we travel together, people assume she's my daughter. There's not that big of a spread in ages. I've just aged terribly. I went to physical therapy this week, and the, the young lady talking to me um, was telling me about her grandfather and how just assumed at one point she asked, uh, um, she's dating a young man, and so we were talking about that, and because when you're old, well, that's what you talk about, I guess, with young people. She was asking me marriage advice. The guy hasn't proposed. Well, there could be a problem. I said, do your siblings like him? And she said, oh, yeah, they like him a lot. I said, good. And she said, do your kids like your other kids' spouses? <laughs> well, my kids are 8, 10, and 14. So I haven't had that one yet. I know I've aged terribly, but my wife obviously had options. But if she had chosen someone else, some of the many, I was so smooth. We were married two years before my wife knew I liked her. Huh? That's how smooth I played it. When I proposed, she, I had to propose twice because the first time she thought I was joking. <laughs> this isn't off to the start I'm hoping for. And then we had a dinner with uh, her brother and wife. And during that dinner, they said to my wife, no, now we're two years into this. They said to my wife, hey, remember that guy we tried to set you up with? He's getting married to someone else, but he should be marrying you. I am right here, people. At some point, we're going to have to just acknowledge that this, this has happened. Sometimes we can wonder, did we marry the wrong person? Not getting married, was that the, I didn't get married, should I have gotten married? I got married, should I not have gotten married? Did we, should we have kids? Should we not have had kids? Should we have had one less? For some of you, one of them came to mind, but I don't mean, I don't mean that one. We can go through, am I at the right job? I'm, did I take the right career path? Should I be living in Tucson? Well, in the wintertime, yes. Right now, eh. what are you going to do? 
snakes fallen from the sky. I saw an antelope jackrabbit this week. I thought that was a joke. Have you ever seen a three-foot-tall rabbit? It is striking. Look them up later. Don't do it now. I can see you. Antelope jackrabbits, a real thing. They're pretty much in Tucson and like one place south of the border, and that's it. And this thing didn't even care. It walked away. Didn't even hop. Thing was enormous. Just after that, I saw a coyote. I was trying to give him directions. You're going to want to go over there. That thing will feed your family for a month. It's a weird place to live. We can wonder sometimes, should I be here? Should we go back to Chicago? I know I shouldn't go to Texas, where my mother-in-law is. They've all made that very clear. Um, I, I, my family started in Brooklyn. Pretty sure we shouldn't go back there. But we wonder sometimes, is this the path I'm supposed to be on? Is there some kind of magic path and I didn't choose correctly and God has a perfect path and then dusted it over because that's what a loving Heavenly Father would do and now I've got to feel my way through Look at this. Let's go to the Apostle Paul. So we met the Apostle Paul a few months ago, a few weeks ago we were talking about. Paul was a Pharisee, minister of the day, really good with rules. I'm not so great with rules. If I have to remind you of the rules we've agreed on, that makes me angry. I wanna, I'm, out, I'm ready for a sandwich. You know what I'm saying? I look around. We got coffee. Go get snacks if you want. Obviously, rules aren't the first thing that come to mind for me. I like the relationship part of this. But the Pharisees were big on the rules. Paul was big on the rules, and now this Jesus guy comes along, claims to be the Messiah. We finally killed him. People are saying he was alive, but let's just kill all the people who saw him alive and fix this problem. There's a solution for you. So Paul was in the middle of that process. When Jesus appears to Paul personally, so now Paul is an eyewitness, and Jesus said, why are you persecuting me? And Paul said, well, this is awkward. I didn't know you were real. I'll stop. And then blinded by the experience, take him to where he was headed, and he's hanging out. And now Ananias, down the road, is a faithful Jesus follower, and he's praying. This will not encourage your prayer time. And God says to Ananias, Ananias, I, I know you trust me. I know you want to do uh, my will. You want to be my partner in life. So I need you to go over to this address, and you'll find Paul. I'm going to change his name to Paul. And uh, the one who's here to kill all of you, Jesus followers, I want you to go over. I've talked to him. <laughs> uh-huh. And Ananias, like we do, says, Well, Lord, who created everything, who loves me, I believe in you, what you don't realize is Paul's got papers to come and get us. And God says, I am aware. I invented paper. Go. So Ananias walks in, probably with great trepidation, and his message from God to Paul is, you're forgiven. You are going to take the word of Jesus to the world, and you are going to suffer mightily. Nice to meet you. How's that for an opening? You go in for a job interview, and they're like, oh, we're going to pay you, and it's really meaningful work, but nobody likes this job. You start Monday. That's what Paul got. So now we fast forward. He's been on this. There's been some crazy things. He's been in jail, all kinds of things. And now he's on his way. He feels called to go to Rome. You know, the Mediterranean Sea, kind of a sideways U. They're down here in the Middle Eastern part where Derek just was. 
I got some pictures to show you in a couple of weeks. So down here, let's go into the boot. Can you picture the boot? That's where they're going. It's where he wants to go. But first, he feels called to go to Jerusalem, the big church, the Jesus Center. And there's those who don't believe in Jesus. There's those who do believe in Jesus. And he's, he wants to go in and try to see if he can create some unity there and explain what happened to him and what he's learned. And all kinds of people are saying, don't go. They're going to be mad at you. They're going to arrest you. Don't go. Several days later, a man named Agabus, there you go, if you're having a baby, you might want to put that one in the hopper. Yeah, it's hard to know. I, I, I'm named as a joke. I grew up in New York. My dad was Yankee fans, um, so he came. I'm the youngest of six. By six, uh, everybody's tired, really, and they're out of names. We already had a junior after my dad, and now there's this one, and so they're coming up with baby names. They go through all the family names. There's no good ones left. You know, an old Jewish, Jewish, British, Swedish family. What do you got for names, right? Uh, Agabus really is on the list. And uh, so my dad came up with Lou for Lou Gehrig or Joe for Joe DiMaggio. My mom vetoed those. She threw out some dumb ones. And finally, my dad said, well, how about we name him Ted for Ted Williams because they didn't like the Red Sox. My mom said, yeah, that's great. <laughs> Took me 50 years to admit that I was named as a joke after Ted Williams. I might consider Agabus. But if you look up my name, there's me and a guy that runs a Swedish a shipping company, and that's it for the whole world. Some of you uh, got a Kyle Smith here, and when, uh, when his now wife's dad went to Google him to make sure he wasn't a fraud, a lot of Kyle Smiths in trouble in this world. <laughs> so at least you didn't have to start there with your in-laws. Several days later, a man named Agabus, who also had the gift of prophecy, so not only foretelling the future, but being honest about the truth of God as it applies to this world. This is a foretelling the future, arrived from Judea, and now this is very Old Testament, acting out the prophecy. Feels like I should have some kind of, uh, some, some kind of uh, illustration here. He came over, took Paul's belt, and bound his own feet and hands with it. I've never had anybody walk over and take my belt off. In a public setting, in the name of Jesus, that would be an odd situation. Bound his own hands and feet with it. So he was like curled up. I mean, it's okay. Then he said, the Holy Spirit declares, so shall the owner of this belt, Paul, be bound by the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem and turned over to the Gentiles, who are, who's the Roman Empire. Notice the Holy Spirit did not say, don't go. And Ananias was told by the Holy Spirit to tell Paul, this is going to be great. It's not going to be easy. You're going to have some doubts along the way if you're on the right track. I'm telling you up front, this is what you're called to do. You, who didn't believe in Jesus and now know Jesus because you've met him, you need to go tell the world who don't believe in Jesus that you've met him and it's true. Go get him, Paul. You've had conversations with relatives like this that didn't go well. Imagine what Paul was facing. The Holy Spirit did not say, don't go to Jerusalem. The Holy Spirit said, you're going to get arrested. There's a big difference. When we, ooh, we, this is Dr. Luke writing this. Why do we have the baby stories in Luke? Because Luke wasn't there for any of it. He's minding his own business. He's a part of the Roman Empire. He's a citizen. Dr. Luke. You think Tucson medicine is bad. What was Dr. Luke using, right? Well, here's your leech. 
right? They didn't have much. They didn't have much. So Dr. Luke hears Paul talk about Jesus, and he realizes this makes sense. So he listens to Paul and finally has his moment where he accepts Jesus as his personal Lord and Savior, and then he goes back and talks to everybody, including Mother Mary. That's why they're the baby stories. You ask Dad about the birth story, and he will have a pretty good idea that he has a child. You ask mom the birth story, she's got details, she's got time, she's got dates, she's got the nurse's middle name. Mom's got the details. That's why we have the baby stories. Luke went back and talked to, to Mary. Well, here we go. We. Luke is there for this part. When we heard this, we and the local believers all begged Paul not to go to Jerusalem. Paul, this is terrible. This is a reason not to go. The Holy Spirit did not say don't go. He said, remember Ananias' great suffering. You thought it was bad before then. Now it's about to get worse. It's not a warning to quit. It's a warning to prepare. Years ago, a friend of mine, he got a big raise, a big promotion at his job. Now in charge of a whole bunch of people. Goes and tells his dad who had a similar job. And uh, his dad didn't say a word. Got up, left the room. My friend's like, well, that wasn't the expected response. And a moment later, dad comes back with a Kleenex box, sits down, slides it across the table and says, here, you're going to need this. And my friend said, why? And he said, because your employees come in and cry on a regular basis, and there's nothing you can do but hand them a Kleenex. Okay, there you go. There's solid dad advice. I don't know that you guys are writing that down, but it's something to consider. When you start a new job, it's good to go talk to the people who have had the job to see what's in store. Now, they might say, don't take the job. We just finished up the parenting group, and we made some, uh, we, no, we invited, made, we bound them hand and feet and brought them in. We, we, we invited some veteran parents in. Your kids seem to be doing pretty well, educated, employed, many of them no longer living in your home. Come on in. Give us some parenting advice. We're going to watch the video on parenting. We're going to sit around and talk about it. But give us some of your veteran parent advice. When you're going to do something, it's really good to have someone who's been there tell you, give you some warnings. Not to not do it, but so you can be prepared. When we do marriage mentoring, uh, Kobe used to be our youth guy here. Now he's an engineer up in Phoenix. As he and Bridget are getting ready to get married, we handed him our marriage mentoring packet. Some of you have been through that, and you take this, and it's the topics. It's money and, and in-laws and the topics that you need to go through if you're going to get married, things that you thought you had talked about, but mostly you just assumed the other person agreed with you. That's not the best way to head into marriage, it turns out. So it's got the topics with a bunch of specific questions, and the idea is to sit down with someone who's been married a little longer than you and, and go through the topics one topic a week for seven weeks. And on the other side, you realize you're marrying an idiot, but they're hot, so what are you going to do? And what you really have is the person on the other side, when it starts to, you feel like, go off the rails, you can call them and say, hey, this is an opportunity for you to take me to coffee and explain what just happened, because I don't know. And I know Kobe well. We've known him since he was fairly young, and he's not going to do that ahead of time. 
But I also know Bridget pretty well, and I know that as soon as they're trouble, there's trouble, they're going to find a couple and say, hey, we probably should have done this before we get married, but go through this with us, would you? Because it's really helpful to have someone a little bit ahead of you learning. From you. It's too difficult to make all the mistakes ourselves. Can I get an amen? Let's learn from some people who are ahead of us for marriage, for parenting, for a job. I have, uh, for years, I've gone out to San Diego to be part of a pastor-mentor group. And the guy that runs the group used to quitter. When I started 20 years ago, he was younger than me, and then he reached retirement age during COVID and exited. But his church was thousands and thousands on a weekend. So everybody else in San Diego, he would drive down, they would meet, I would fly over, and we would give him questions, and he would answer, and he'd give us great perspective, and watching how he dealt with us was a great learning experience, and it's really helpful to have a mentor. It's not that, and my mentor didn't say, this is going to be difficult, don't do it. What he would say is, let me give you some, some warnings. You can expect what's coming. So that's what Paul was getting from the Holy Spirit, not don't go to Jerusalem. But this is going to be challenging. Be ready. What it did to Paul was affirm that he was called to do this. When you, uh, we all say we want to have a passion. The word passion literally means what I'm willing to suffer for. Marriage, parenting, job. We say around here, those of us that work in church, 75% of what we do, we should do whether we're getting paid or not. It's that other 25%. Ooh, that's the doozy we get paid for. We would all attend church. We would all be in small groups. We would all be part of the Christian life for as long as we have breath, whether we're getting paid to be there or not. But there's that 25%. That's what the paycheck's coming for, and we appreciate it. What are you willing to suffer for? Got to pick something. This was, I want to stress, this was not Paul, hold my beer, watch this, right? This was Paul saying, no, this is my call. Paul said, he, but, but he said, verse 13, why all this weeping? Now listen, Paul gets sarcastic. Kind of enjoy that. You are breaking my heart. I am ready not only to be jailed at Jerusalem, but even to die for the sake of the Lord Jesus, which is good because that's what happened. Verse 14, when it was clear that we couldn't, we, right, Luke, when we couldn't persuade him, you know what Luke is thinking? Well, if Paul's getting arrested and I'm standing right next to him, Paul, let's not go to Jerusalem. Paul, you've been called to suffer for Jesus. I've been called to take notes. So I don't think I need to do this with you. When it was clear we couldn't persuade him, we gave up and said, the Lord's will be done. Well, if you want to do what Jesus is calling you to do, that's on you, which is a strange insult. The Lord's will be done. I don't know, almost say that like a curse, couldn't you? When uh, my wife was walking down the aisle and my mother-in-law jumped up and offered her 400 bucks to not go through with it, Jenny counted it really quick and said, at least five, Mom. She didn't have it on her, so here we are. I can write you a check, Mom. I don't know if it's going to be good. It's, you, you had your chance to prepare. Final offer, Mom. So it was a little disruption in the service, but I, it went well, I think. The Lord's will be done. That's what we're supposed to be praying for. Lord, 
your will be done. You have something in store for us that's bigger than we can imagine right now. We can't even see it from here. We don't have the afterlife. We have eternal life. Today is part of eternal life. There will be that really weird blip that happens that for most of us be a while. I mean, if you're going to Banner anytime soon, then it could be faster. But for most of us, it could be longer than we might think. But the day comes when, boop, and we're in a whole different version of eternal life. The Bible gives us some glimpses, but I don't know. You've got to go see it for yourself. I'm willing to die for the sake of the Lord Jesus. Another place, while Paul was in prison and writing the prison letters back to the churches that he had told people about Jesus, they formed churches, and then Paul said, I'll be back. Well, some of those were letters that we still get to read that Paul wrote in prison. And at one point, Paul said, if I get to live, then I get to get out of jail at some point, and I come and talk to you about Jesus, and that's great. But if I die, I get to go see Jesus, and that's even better. So whenever it happens, I'll be ready. The Lord's will be done. Yeah, that's what we want. After this, we packed our things and left for Jerusalem. And you've got to give Luke credit on this because Luke didn't say, oh, the Holy Spirit's wrong. And, the, and Luke didn't lie and say, well, the Holy Spirit's telling us not to go, Paul. He was just saying this is going to be difficult. Are we sure we want to do this? This is my, the exact same conversation we have every time we go see my mother-in-law. This is going to be difficult. Are we sure we want to do this? I have to sleep outside. It wasn't a matter... It seemed like a matter of taking the easy way. But it's not the easy way. It's just a different way. Should I have gotten married? Should I not have gotten married? Should I have married somebody else? Should we have had kids? Should we have had more kids? Should we have less kids? Should we have a different job? Should we live in a different place? The thing is, it wouldn't be better or worse. It would just be different. And so you, you have this. Embrace it. They're yours. Enjoy. Do your best to be a positive influence. Let them make you a better person. One of my least favorite aspects of marriage. I think we can all agree. The downside of friends, the downside of any relationship, really, is they keep pointing out how you could be better. Well, let's point out how you could be better. And then you call your marriage mentor person and say, how'd that go south so quickly? My parents, by the time I came along, had been married so long that their arguments were thus. Well, see? Ooh. Terrible argument. What just happened? And because my parents are both New Yorkers, I could ask them, what happened? And my dad would say, well, your mom saw someone in the world who needed 50 bucks, so she had to write a check. When my mom died a few years ago during the pandemic, it was hard to get from Tucson back to where she was going to be buried in New York. And so the family, we just FaceTimed in. Mom was great. We'd already gone back and said the goodbye. And so we FaceTimed in, and then my, my wife's job was to do, my mom's name was Rita, to do a Rita kind of day. So we FaceTime in, and then we go to Jack Furrier to have the tires rotated because that's what you do on a, I don't know, starting on the schedule. And so while we're doing that, my wife starts talking to this dear old lady who's panicked about the bill that Jack Ferrier is about to give her. And so then Jenny pays the bill for her. 
because that's what my mom would have done, much to my dad's chagrin. And then we went to eat to Angry Crab. I think you want to go to a seafood place in the desert. It's great. It's down on Grant. If you don't get shot walking in, it's really delightful. <laughs> if you've never been, don't go alone. Go with a, a cop friend, but it's great. So we're there, and when we're doing the thing, right, we're ordering like normal people, just what we're going to eat. We don't get the crab leg. We live in a desert. Some of you go on an Alaska cruise. Go ahead. Go nuts. That and the bear meat. You enjoy that. But we live in a desert. And so unless they're serving scorpion, just go easy, right? And we're looking over there in the corner. There's this young couple who clearly has no idea what they're doing. they got crab legs coming out of everything. And then the crab legs arrive. They're all excited. And they realize we don't know how to eat this. We don't know how to crack it open. That's gross. And they just got up and left and didn't pay the bill. And we're watching this. My wife looks at me and she says, you know what Rita would do? Man, my mom's costing me a fortune. <laughs> it would have been cheaper to fly back. So we paid their bill. Most arguments that my mom and dad had with us growing up, they were fine financially. My dad was Jewish. It broke his heart that my mom was so generous. There's, a, there's an amount that we're generous with. We don't, we don't go beyond that. That was not my mom's approach to life. So most arguments were, well, see, oh, what happened? Are you guys okay? You're going to split up? Were you good? The thing about relationships is they make us a better person if we do them right. The way we do them right is we have to use our words and we have to be committed to this. Is it always going to be easy? No. Is it going to be worthwhile? Yes. Why did they pack their things and left for Jerusalem? Because it was going to be easy? They had a plan to skirt the authorities? No. They're going right into the storm. We'll talk about it when we finally come back July 16th, the journey and how they end up in Rome. Uh, spoiler alert right here. They get to Rome. They're all excited. They survive all the crazy, the shipwrecks in the winter, and the phoenix gets mentioned in Syracuse, and they finally get there. And people are all excited. Paul, we've heard about you. And they listen to him, and some go, eh. I've been working on this speech for a year. They didn't go because they thought they had a plan to skip the difficulty. They went because it was worth going to do. Paul felt called, difficult or not. And here's the thing. Paul wasn't the only one. Agabus a faithful follower of God. There were others in the group. When he got to Jerusalem, there were those who were excited by what Paul was doing, and there were those who clearly were not excited about what Paul was doing. Paul was not the only partner with uh, the kingdom of God. Paul had his own unique path. And when he got to Jerusalem, what happened is what you would expect to have happened if people are telling you multiple times, the Holy Spirit is telling you this is going to be difficult. Well, it was just fun. It's like a vacation. It wasn't. Later, in prison, Paul wrote back to the church in Ephesus, some of whom had said to him, if you go to Jerusalem, you're going to get arrested. And he said, yes, but there as a Roman citizen, I can appeal to Caesar, and I'll be sent to Rome, and that's where I feel I should be. Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus from prison. Therefore, I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling. For you have been called by God, and do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Remember, he has identified you as his own, guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of redemption. 
What would you do if you knew you couldn't fail? Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Verse 32, instead be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. <laughs> did you know what they did? Have you, did you see what they did, Lord? Not forgiving that. That's inexcusable. Oh, right, you died on the cross for me. Just as God, through Christ, has forgiven you. It's not that the well-meaning friends of Paul were wrong. They were 100% right. 100% right. We used to have this uh, neighbor when we used to live north of Chicago, and Jenny and I were first married, and, uh, and first married is a real adventure, and it was still in that first year where you're trying to figure out how wrong is this person on everything. Oh, my gosh, you don't know how to handle money correctly. You don't know how to do Christmas correctly. A real tree, you don't do a real tree. You get a fake tree. You pay for it once, and it lasts for 50 years. The tree I put up as a kid, it made the Charlie. We looked up to the Charlie Brown tree. We didn't know that was a joke. We thought, well, yeah, that's pretty nice. If you want to spend the money on our new tree. This guy, every time we'd have a, a, a discussion, he would pop his little head over the fence if we were outside. If we were inside, he'd knock on the door and bring us baked goods. Got a lot of good pie out of that guy. Really, really sad when, when we started to work out things. It's not that the well-meaning friends of Paul were wrong, and it's not that Paul was wrong. The well-meaning friends of Paul wanted his life to be easier, and Paul was willing to spend his life telling the world that Jesus is real because he saw it with his own eyes. And if he had to go to jail, he had to go to jail. Then he would talk to the jailers. The thing is, for Paul, he heard this hypothesis that Jesus could be the Son of God in sandals. And then he saw it for himself. And you know what a proven hypothesis is? It's no longer a theory. So for Paul, it was now a proven fact. They said Paul would go to jail. Paul went to jail. They said Paul would die in prison. Paul died in prison. But before he died in prison, he wrote a good chunk of the New Testament that we can still read, the prison letters. And we think our goal in life is for it to be easy. But here's the thing. This one last thought between us and sandwiches. A book that's not interesting, a bad book or a bad movie, it's not good because we don't like the characters. We don't like the characters. We don't resonate with the characters. The hot chick in our house, she'll be watching on Netflix, and you'll see her do this, scrubbing forward. Then she'll do this, and then scrub back to where she was because she likes this character. She wants to know if she should be committed emotionally. If this person's in the last scene... All right. But if they're not going to be in the last scene, if they get killed somewhere along the way, I don't know what she's watching. Then there's no reason to be entangled emotionally with this character. I like this character. What's going to happen to this character? Nothing good. All right, be ready. The reason why we don't like a book is because we don't like the characters. The reason why we don't like a movie is we don't like the characters. Or you might like the character, but they don't do anything. Nothing happens to them. They don't overcome anything. There's no plot. The thing is, we are the character in our own story. We're supposed to be likable. We're supposed to go do stuff, overcome things, face obstacles, become a better person, do it together. We're supposed to be in a relationship. What did Jesus say the whole Bible's about? Love God, love others. That's it. There you go. Do that. 
How do we love others? Well, together. We don't want to live a life where we don't like the character and we don't do anything worthwhile. We are called to live an adventure. It's not time to sit and watch. It's showtime. And, and so it is. Let's pray up and go get a sandwich. Heavenly Father, thank you for being in this place. We made the effort to be here. Would you speak to us in a way that amazes us one more time, that inspires us to commit to the relationships we have, commit to the work that you have for us? We have people around us who are watching us. Maybe they'll read the Bible. Maybe they'll pray. Maybe they'll go to church, but they're watching us. Would we take the challenge of living a life worthy? And for every time we get it wrong, to be honest, to ask for forgiveness, to be quick to forgive. Lord, meet us in this place. If there's anybody here today who doesn't know you, that ABC approach. A is to admit that we are sinners. We don't live up to the life standards that we have set for ourselves to say nothing about the life standards you create for us. B is to believe that Jesus is the one who forgives, who makes us worthy of not only this life, to live it with joy, but for all of eternity. And C is to choose to follow. It is in the name of Jesus that all of us pray. And everyone said, Amen.